0: Grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and Jesus Christ, our resurrected, our risen, our reigning, and our returning Redeemer. I greet you all with the joy of our Savior and welcome you back to Alfred Street Baptist Church. Uh, For four times in a row, we've had the joy of being able to open the doors of our church to host Missio, and it really is a joy for us to welcome each and every one of you. I love to take a picture when all of you gather because Alfred Street never looks like this. Amen. It just never looks like this. And uh, we use this on our postcards every now and then to remind people um, uh, that we're striving to be a whole lot more than what we are. But welcome each and every one of you. I want to uh, really thank God and those whom God has used to open the invitation for me to be able to share just a few thoughts from the word of God as we gather in this sacred space beginning this journey. Imagine if you would, you are the preacher for the opening plenary um, and what you would ask people to feel and respond and to do. J.R. said that we've got some Lutherans, some Episcopals, a whole variety, but you all are in a black Baptist church. Amen. So I need you to practice a few things. Everybody do this. Everybody do this. Everybody. Amen. All right. Now somebody say amen. Amen. Y'all going to be black Baptists before you know it. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. I thought J.R. was my friend, and then he put Natasha up in front of me, and I am uh, grateful. A few months ago, we were on a call speaking about the vision for this gathering, and as uh, Jr. began to speak about what he sensed God was calling us to do in this call of church to the world, and I began to look at the plenary sessions that are coming afterwards, I began to sense that God was calling us to a time of awakening. Maybe not a great awakening, more of a reawakening to some of the vision that God has for our purpose and his plan for our work here in the world. And with that in mind, in prayer, kind of landed in the Gospel of Mark. And I want you to hear in your reading, a passage of scripture that is familiar to you. In the eighth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, beginning in verse number 22, and I'm reading out of the New International Version. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. As we hang out sermonically and study for that moment, I want to talk to you about an eye opening experience. An eye opening experience. We who deal with the Word of God know that it is always necessary to take any passage we are proclaiming and place it in context. That in essence, to deal with the word of God, clearly we need to look beyond the few verses that the lectionary or our homiletical studies have landed us in. And so allow me, if you will, in trying to set the context, give you some background so you don't miss the breakdown of the sermon. What happens in Mark chapter 8 is really precipitated by what happens in chapter 6. In chapter 6, you will recall, one of the few miracles that's recorded in all four of the Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. And it is there in Mark's version in chapter 6 that Mark records this event where the Lord Jesus feeds a crowd that's much greater than 5,000 because they were only counting the men. And he feeds them, as you recall, with two fish and five loaves of bread only to repeat the miracle in a similar way in Mark chapter 8. But in Mark chapter 8, it's a little different. In Mark 6, it's 5,000 with two fish and five loaves. But in Mark 8, it's 4,000 with seven. So in Mark 6, it's more with less. But in Mark 8, it's less with more. And after Jesus performs this repeat miracle... The crowd and particularly his disciples are still looking at him and they're wondering what kind of man is this? And Jesus kind of pauses and he's a little upset, a little disturbed, a little distraught because a few chapters ago you saw me feed more with less. Now you've seen me feed less with more and you still can't figure out who I am? And Jesus understands the problem is that these disciples have vision, but they can't see. Their eyes work, but they have no discerning of what God is doing. And so, in order to help them understand sight, Jesus navigates him himself to Bethesda, and it is there that he meets a blind man. Sight is at stake in Mark 8. Jesus is going to open this blind man's eyes, and you and I both know, if the truth be told, Jesus opens a whole lot of blind eyes. As a matter of fact, I would argue with you, beloved, it's probably the most prolific, pervasive miracle in all the Bible. Jesus, everywhere he goes, he's opening blinded eyes. Matter of fact, that's what he told us he was going to do when he introduced himself in ministry in the synagogue when he opened up in Luke chapter 4 and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set at liberty them who are captive and to restore sight to the blind. And ain't that just what he did? Everywhere he goes, blinded eyes are open. Matthew says he's walking down the road one day And two blind men are following him and Jesus gives them a two for one. He heals two sets of eyes at one time. When John the Baptist is in jail and he's wondering if Jesus is the Messiah, he sends some followers to Jesus and Jesus opens blinded eyes and tells the disciples, now go tell John what you saw. It's that boy who's born blind in John 9 who Jesus spits on the ground and makes some mud and puts it on his eyes that starts all the controversy about Jesus healing on the wrong day. And in a few chapters from now in Mark 10, we're gonna be introduced to a brother we know well, a blind boy by the name of Bartimaeus who sits on the side of the road. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me and the Lord opens his blinded eyes. The Lord opens blinded eyes All the time. Matter of fact, Jesus opens blinded eyes so much, you might miss the message for we who gather in this space seeking to serve the Lord, but sometimes find ourselves blind. Watch what happens. The Bible says that that Jesus is in Bethesda and they, a small group, bring a blind man to see the Lord. We don't know who they is, they don't get a name, they are not identified, but they are responsible for bringing this brother to the feet of Jesus. And whatever this man is gonna experience, whatever miracle he's gonna walk in, whatever he's going to see after encountering Jesus, here's the truth of the matter, he would not have gotten there had it not been for a group called they. And I would argue with us who work in the body of Christ and who train and teach and preach that all of us must be mindful that whatever God does in our lives, whatever we experience in the kingdom of Christ, whatever we are achieving in our churches, there's always a group called they who are responsible. You know who they are. They are the ones who serve in the shadows and the sidelines. Those, they who do not require recognition. They walk in anonymity. You know they, they who open up the doors of the church. They who greet people on their way in. They who clean up the bathrooms. They who monitor the sound. They who control the cameras. They who pass out the offering envelopes. They who raise the offering within every church. There's a group called they. And my prayer for you when you leave this city, when you leave this church, is that you never go back and allow your they to be unrecognized. May God open our eyes to those who are the support and the structure for all that God calls us to do. None of us minister by ourselves. There are those called they. May our eyes be opened to they. They bring him to Jesus. There's a crowd gathered. And the Bible says that when Jesus sees this blind man, watch the text, he grabs him by the hand and leads him outside of town. This is kind of amazing because, you know, Jesus can heal in any way he wants. There's sometimes Jesus heals in front of a crowd for everybody to see. There's some moments when Jesus kicks folks out the house. You you remember Jairus' door, everybody had to go. And now Jesus pulls this brother outside of the crowd. As if to suggest that if your eyes are going to be opened to the glorious things of God, it doesn't always happen in a crowd. That the Lord has a way of calling us outside of public crowds into prayer closets. The Lord moves us out of sanctuaries and into places of solitude where we are alone with the one who called and created us. Beloved, I came by to tell you that the real eye-opening that the Lord takes us through does not happen in great and grand homiletical moments when we stand before hundreds proclaiming the word of God, but it happens when we seek God in those silent times and quiet places and realize that ministry is not over when you get an M div. Ministry doesn't begin with a D-men. It begins on your knees in the presence of God who calls us in our quiet times times And the kingdom of Christ has been damaged by preachers and teachers who prefer the crowd over the quiet time with God. God, deliver me from preachers who seek celebrity status. Deliver me from churches that want to be mega and big. Deliver me from those who simply want to crowd and surround me with those who spend time with you on their knees and in their word and laying flat on their faces. I don't want to hear a soloist who can sing but ain't talk to God. I don't want to hear a preacher who can holler but doesn't have a prayer life. I need somebody who's been close to God. May God open our eyes to the need of being alone with the Lord before we stand with the people. They bring him, Jesus pulls him out and watch what Jesus does. I I don't know if I like this. Jesus spits in the man's eye. Now maybe you're better educated than I am, and your exegesis is a little bit tighter. Uh, but but Jesus spits in the man's eyes. Listen, listen, I know you who were trained in your exegetical, historical, critical methodology will share with me that in the context and culture of this time that saliva was known to have medicinal properties and that it would bring healing to different kind of wounds and and if, if, if regular saliva healed, oh my God, sanctified saliva, and that's maybe even how you preached it. Maybe you preached about sanctified saliva and how it brings healing in our lives, but I come by to tell you that's Nasty. (laughs) Jesus spits in this man's eye. Well, I know some of you may be expository minded. And so I did a little bit of the Greek to understand what the original language was and do the semantic homework so that I can stand exegetical and expository. And so I did the work. And you need to know that the Greek verb for spit is onomatopoeic. I like using big words. It is a word that sounds like what it is. (laughs) The Greek verb for spit is the word ptuo. High Tau Upsilon Omega, Petulo. <laughs> Jesus, ptool. <laughs> Jesus, p-tool. in somebody's face. Why does Jesus? In a man's face. Can 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 we have a little quiet conversation? I want to share with you something that we don't share outside of safe ministry circles. (laughs) Why does Jesus spit in his man's face? That's what ministry is. Moment after moment of people. I know church folk and folk who can sing Amazing Grace can also ptuo. Folk who you pray with at the hospital, they know how to ptuo. People you serve among and give 100% of yourself to They'll meet you on Wednesday in the board meeting and they will duo. listen, this is safe ground. Do me a favor. We do this at our church every now and then. I need you to nudge somebody next to you and tell them, neighbor. Spit happens. <laughs> if if you are going to be faithful in serving the Lord, there will be some moments of spit, disrespect, disregard, decrease in pay. Lord, no. That's the real journey of ministry. And if I can push it, what makes me upset about Jesus spitting on this man, watch this is that in a few chapters, he's gonna meet another blind man named Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus don't get spit on. (laughs) Jesus, that's not fair. (laughs) Why do I have to endure spit? And he never does. Lord, it's not fair. At least you know Bartimaeus' name. My name never gets known. You mean I get spit on and remain anonymous and Bartimaeus doesn't get spit on and everybody knows his name? I didn't go to school for that. Lord, that's not fair. Their road seems better than my road. He never gets spit on. There are people joining his church every week and he can't even preach! (laughs) And could it be a reminder that all of us have different roads that God has called us to travel on in this thing called ministry? Jesus spits on a man. That's not the miracle. Can I tell you what the miracle is? I'm going to tell you what the real miracle in this text is, that that they bring the man to Jesus. Jesus pulls him outside of town. Jesus spits on him. But here's the real miracle. Here's the re- I'm going to tell you why it's a miracle. Because my church knows I'm from the south side of Chicago. Um, now, if you've never been to Chicago, I'm going to tell you, being from the south side, um, that, that simply means I'm, I'm saved, but I ain't delivered from everything. Amen. I'm going to let you figure that out. I'm saved, but I ain't delivered from everything. You know that whole... Um, if a man slap you, turn the cheek. It just depends on what day you catch me on. That's it. Really, it really, it really. You catch me on the wrong day, uh, I'm gonna slap you back. Um, here's the real miracle. The real miracle from the South Side perspective exegetical lens is that Jesus spits on the man, and the man stays. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't give up. He doesn't throw in the towel. And that's saying something because if you spit on me, my first inclination is to spit back on you. You cussing me in a church meeting, my first inclination is to cuss back at you. You cut me in public, my first inclination is to cut back on you, but this man models for us that if you would experience the miracle of ministry, you've got to endure the mess of ministry. You've got to be faithful and steadfast and patient and bite your tongue and be not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap. If you faint not, you've got to learn to endure it. And I don't know who I came to preach to today and I'm almost done. Well, that's Baptist. That that couldn't mean another 30 minutes. Uh, I don't know who I came to preach to, but somebody came to ministry and it's been nothing but spit, and here you are at Missio. And in the back of your mind is your resignation letter. The back of your mind is quitting. The back of your mind is going back to selling vacuums. But I came by to tell you today, don't grow weary in well-doing. You've got to have some stick to itness if you're going to see the great things of God. This thing ain't easy. And you can't give up easily. Don't quit. The miracle... Is right there. Jesus spits on him and then asks him this question. What do you see? Hang out with me. The man says, well, you know, I think I see people, but they look like trees. And I heard a preacher stop once right here and, and preach that, that too often we don't celebrate that he saw trees, even though they were really people. And the reason we don't pause to celebrate is we don't realize he couldn't see anything a few moments ago. And every now and then, you've got to praise God on progress. You've got to learn to thank God that it's better than it used to be. You've got to learn to get some relativity in your soul and go, hey, it could be a whole lot worse. And I've learned to give thanks to God that it's not what it used to be. The man says, I see trees. I think they're people, but they look like trees. And they're moving around. And notice that Jesus is not content to leave the man in that state where he sees trees, but they're really people. I'm getting a little bit of trouble right here. I'm I'm getting a little bit of trouble. I'm I'm giving you a forewarning. I'm going to get a little bit of trouble, but y'all in my church. Amen. Y'all in my church. So it's all right. Jesus does not let him leave seeing trees when he should be seeing people. Why? I would argue with you that if he can identify a tree and he can identify a shape of a person, he knows the difference between the two. To say I see trees but look like people means you've got some kind of recognition of what a tree looks like and what people look like. And I can't let you leave being content to only see tree when you ought to see people. Because the kingdom of Christ will always be damaged by the religious folk who have enough sight to see tree, but not enough love to see people. Come here, come here. You can see the thing but you can identify the people behind the thing you can name the policy but you don't see the people it affects you're good at naming the theology but you don't see the hearts that are affected by what you proclaim you can see the thing but i want to know do you see the people I know you see the immigration issue, but do you see the people that are involved? I know you see the healthcare model, but do you see the senior citizen that has to choose between medication and food? I know you see the gay and the transgender and the lesbian, but do you see the sister that stands right in front of you? Do you see people or do you see things? And shame on the saint that stops at the thing but never wants to see the person. So Jesus says, I can't leave you like this. All you see are things. So the Lord touches him again. His eyes are opened, not because of his degree, not because of his exegetical ability, not because of his scripture quoting. His eyes are opened because the Lord has touched him again. And beloved, I came by and tell you that that's all we really do stand in need of. Every now and then we just need God to touch us again. Um, I have told my church, and if you have kids, you know this, there's nothing in the world like having little children, um, these teenagers I got is another thing, but when they were little, I, um, I, I loved them to death. Um, these teenagers, hey, have you ever wanted to kill your offspring? Um, but when they, were little, when they were little, there was nothing in the world like coming home to a little child. Because when daddy comes home through the door, I felt like I was Superman. Superman. I come through the door and they'd be so excited. It didn't matter what kind of day I had at work. It didn't matter how the deacons meeting went. It doesn't matter what the trustees voted down. When I walked through the door and my little sons were there, it was the greatest feeling in the world. I'd had a bad day at church. I got home. I was tired. I was weary. I was hungry. And I opened up the door and there was my little son, Cooper, with his arms raised. I reached down, and I picked him up, and I flipped him over, and I set him down. I grabbed my bag. I'm leaving the kitchen. I need to go eat. I need to sit down. And while I'm walking away from him, I hear him holler out behind me, Daddy! Do it again. So I put my bag down. I went back over to him. I picked him up. I flipped him around, and I set him down. I grabbed my bag, and I'm walking, trying to get up the stairs, and all of a sudden, I hear him holler, Daddy! Do it again. So I put my bag down, I went over to him, I picked him up, I flipped him up, I turned him over, I sat him down, I'm walking out the kitchen and all of a sudden here he goes, Daddy! Do it again. So I put my bag down, I went over to him, I picked him up, I flipped him up and I turned him over, I'm walking out, said, Daddy, do it again. And I've learned that if you're gonna survive in this thing called ministry, if you will be successful with anything God would place in your hand, there's got to be a moment when you just holler out, God, do it again. Touch my mind again, feel my heart again, strengthen my life again, walk with me again, talk with me again, hold me again. Is there anybody here who knows what it's like to ask God? Do it again, God. God, do it again. And Lord, I pray for my sister, my brother in this place, who's been dealing with that spit. Do it again. Call them again renew them again, refresh them again, speak to them again, hold them again, open their eyes again. God, do it again. In Jesus' name, amen.